Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello, hello. Today on the show, we've got Susan Elliott with us. Um, we had a great interview. I enjoyed it. We're talking about note investing, which is essentially mortgages, which is certainly kind of out of my comfort and knowledge zone. Um, I've done a lot of real estate stuff, but I haven't done that. So this is a good primer on note investing and a little bit about her background. She was a, uh, a guide, whitewater kayak instructor for a number of years, and then a landlord and then found note investing. So cool story uh, that Susan shared. She's very personable. I think we had a great interview. I think you're going to enjoy it. So we'll jump right into that. First, if you would like to get on the DJE list, if you're not already in our portal as an investor and you want to see our upcoming projects, you can just go to djetexas.com and there's a, a button there to schedule a quick call with our team and we'll get you set up, answer any questions, and we can start showing you future projects after that. Secondly, if you are an aspiring apartment owner operator, you want to go run these deals yourself, we've got some excellent content for you at apartmenteducators.com. There's a video series there for free for those of you that want to pursue this uh, as an owner of apartments. You can check out apartmenteducators.com um, and there's some great content there for you to download. So, Let's jump into the episode and take it over to our interview with Susan Elliott. Welcome, Susan. How are you? I'm doing well this morning. How about you? How about I'm you, Doing Devin? great. Doing good. good. Thanks for, for jumping on. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting into the interview and the topic today, which is a little bit of a departure from our kind of normal multifamily conversations. But before we get into all that, Let's hear your story. What's what's your background? You know, what attracted you to real estate in the first place? And how did yeah. how did you get into all that? Let's let's unpack some of that. Yeah, let's do that. That is it is all, the foundation of all of us and how we arrived here absolutely plays a role in how we perform here and how we relate mm -hmm. to the people in this space. And so I I found real estate investing sort of midway through, you know, into my 30s. And I spent most of my 20s traveling around the world as a whitewater kayak instructor and raft guide and worked awesome. in um, worked That's in policy. 20s well spent. I it love it. It was. You know, yeah. I, I think about how I could have spent the, the 20s in the cubicle. Yeah. I could have been pushing for that. And then, but what I did, I, you know, I sort of had a pre-retirement, let's be honest. And um, I really prioritized experience and I prioritized relationship and I prioritized building a connection with the natural world and actually doing something to um, to protect it too. So, so I was working as a guide, but part of that is, you know, helping people fall in love with, with their world, with their, with these outdoor spaces and helping empower them to be able to take on, you know, true challenges in an out in, in the natural world um, that, that always carry back to their, their home life, their profession or, or their family. You know, they are, they are sort of more empowered beings after they take on their first class three rapid in a kayak, for instance, yeah. or even just after a single day trip in a, in a whitewater raft. But, um, but that turned into doing a lot of advocacy work to protect free flowing rivers, to protect our clean water. Right. Um, I published a book that is a guidebook to the wild and scenic rivers across the country. Outstanding. Um, which was really fun. But yeah. I, you know, through all of that, I also was, 
ignoring a little bit of the financial stability piece. And, you know, I was making ends meet. I was living essentially paycheck to paycheck or job to job, seasonal job. And, um, and, and it, it wore on me and it wore on me a way that I couldn't identify until it just hit me hard. I mean, I was almost in panic attacks when I would get unexpected bills or I would have to go into tax season because I didn't allow myself to really understand it. And I hit a breaking point where I was just like, no more, this is ridiculous. And it was a true turning point for me um, because, you know, actually to back up a little bit, I decided that you know, my my gut knew that I, I needed more financial stability, but my gut told me to go get a job. So I went back right. to graduate school. I got my master's in water resource engineering and I began working as an engineer for river systems. So I would help restore river systems, bring them back to a really healthy state so that they're providing clean water for the communities. They're providing great ecosystems for fish to live in. Um, so I was still along that passion line of rivers and protecting wild spaces, but um, but the job didn't satisfy that in me. I realized I would still have to work my little butt off through the rest of my life. You know, the retirement was just so far down the line. And um, and so that's when the, the financial epiphany kind of happened. And at that time, I was buying uh, our primary residence and I immediately turned it into a rental as soon as that loan requirements were satisfied. And I, I went down that road and I realized that managing rental properties wasn't my favorite. And... Um, and I quickly started to learn more about notes. And I and I knew that I loved real estate so much at that point. I, I, I loved the social side of it. That was a piece that I wasn't fulfilling with all my river advocacy work, right. um, being able to directly impact human beings' lives and and improve you know in a, in a way that you know sort of set them on a path to improvement i got it in the guiding which i really loved but i realized i kind of lost it with the engineering and so it kind of came back to me with real estate and um and i learned i was learning about all different kinds of real estate investing getting experience in long-term rentals and short-term rentals and even starting to learn more about the multifamily space but something about the world of notes just struck me um, and I learned all I could about it. And I started to, you know, get my feet wet in the notes world and specifically the world of non-performing notes. So right. we're, we're kind of in the world of flipping notes and I'm sure we'll go into that in a little bit more detail. And yeah. And if we could, Susan, for the audience, let's just take it all the way back. What can we, can we define what note investing is at like yeah. the most kind of, you know, third grader level? Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is, something that even experienced real estate investors don't always fully understand because it's kind of the other side of the property, right? This is the lending side of right. the property. This is the paper side of every property. So anytime you've ever um, purchased a home and needed someone to finance that home, a note was created. So the note is consistent of the loan documents that state the terms, your interest rate, your term, um, the length of your term, the percentage down payment, all of that. And it's glued to property was we the mortgage instrument that loan the house so the mortgage says that if this if these loan requirements are not fulfilled as stated in the terms then this whoever owns that note whoever owns that note asset can then take control of the physical asset as collateral for that so it's it's a it's a debt vehicle but it's also a cash flowing asset because you 
uh, on your primary residence are paying your mortgage every month. I'm fairly sure I, I would guess um, your whoever owns your note is collecting that payment every month. Um, and it's and it's pretty good to be the banks. The banks have figured out how to make money and how to make money really easily, right? They're not getting calls if your water breaks. They're not getting That's calls. Right. They're if, not the landlord. You know, biz. There's a noise violation. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you're uh, you're essentially on the other on the other side of that. So that's basically what a what a note is. Um, now I'll go into quickly performing versus non-performing note because you'll hear me say non-performing note a lot. And a performing note is is where the borrower is making those those payments every month. That's I I um, am a borrower on a performing note for my primary residence. I pay my lender every month on time. And that's a performing note. A non-performing note is where a borrower has stopped making payments for one reason or another. They've um, they're unable to make their full payment amount, and they do that by um, sometimes kind of starting and stopping, but they're they're essentially not up to par with that. So that's a non-performing note. Perfect. Well, great definitions. Good starting point. Thanks for kind of the level set there. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about get, going back to your rental. You said that you 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 were able to turn that into a, a single family home that you lived in, turn that into a rental as soon as you were able. What was the catalyst there for that? Did that just kind of make sense? Was there a book or seminar or a coach or something along the way? But wh what was the catalyst for that transition there? That's a great question because because there absolutely was. I went in. I had the intention of going into that purchase with this will become a rental. And it, it wouldn't have happened had I not had that financial epiphany about six months beforehand. And right. sort of in our lives, we were, it was the timing where we were settling down. We're no longer traveling all over the world, flying to different rivers all, all across the country um, to work. So we knew we needed a house. We, we didn't want to keep renting or we didn't want to continue to house it or, or do that. And I found um, bigger pockets. I talked to other friends of mine who lo and behold have 10 rental houses, you know, right. and just started coming out of the woodworks. And I realized that I could leverage my, um, you know, this, this really great loan terms as, as a primary residence, low down payment, great, great interest rates out there right now. Um, as long as I knew that that could be a cash flowing asset after we left. Um, and we did that. And in fact, the market that I live in, I live outside of Portland, Oregon. It's, it's really, really popular market. And it's really hard to find a cash flowing asset out here. So what I did was I turned a, a single family home into a duplex, essentially. Oh. Um, we built, we split it off. We found one that was zoned correctly and uh, we were able to split it into two units. And that made it a great cash flowing asset as soon as we yeah. left. So my, my short-term mind was that I'm going to do this every two years. I'm going right. to get a new primary residence and then we'll be set, we'll be set for life. And in that process, I started just learning more and more. And I, and I really fell in love with the idea of starting a business in real estate at right. that point. And I knew that I could, I could go bigger. I love it. I love turning. <laughs> I love the duplex idea. This was not built as a duplex, right? This is just a single family house that you guys you mm -hmm. know, sent a contractor mm -hmm. in and, and made it uh, duplex. That's Absolutely. cool. I mean, that's Absolutely, the, yeah. uh, there's all, countless kind of creative aspects of real estate, which, uh, which I love hearing stories about. Was there a tenant story that made you want to get out of being a landlord? Yes. <laughs> Isn't there always a always, tenant story? Yeah. You know, we, I, um, I had a tenant and she, I really felt like we, we ended on a really good note. I know that um, she hit a, you know, she lost her job throughout the, her tenancy and we found a way to allow, you know, someone else to move in with her. 
you know, we redid the lease, but there was damage, there was noise, there was, it was like a lot of small cuts and, you know, it wasn't one thing. She didn't flood my entire, the entire apartment. She didn't sure. cause thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of damage, but it was every month, hours and hours and hours and hours of my time. Oh, and, yeah. and, and a lot of it was just stress about the fact that it's a duplex and she's, I'm going to lose my really good tenant upstairs if, right. if she continues to sort of violate the lease in ways that are really hard to point to. But I also didn't want to kick her out. You know, it was it was yeah. I had I had two, my heartstrings were where it was hard for that. So when it was the end of her lease, I was really happy. We went in and did some repairs. And I said that was a lot of my energy that I um, I kind of want to avoid down the road if I can. You know, one of those other little ways that pushed me towards notes. Yeah. People don't tend to, well, I see this a lot of times, um, don't tend to factor in their, their time. You know, sometimes you have a, a highly compensated professional or whatnot, and then they take on some jobs on the weekend that are fairly low compensated on a, you know, per dollar per hour, dollar per hour basis. But, um, they're just jumping. They're thinking it's free labor when really it's like extremely expensive labor, especially if you got, you know, you need to reserve your downtime to recoup your energy to go be a top performer in your day job. And if you're eating into that, that could be really expensive. And that's not even talking about dollars necessarily. It's just, you have to kind of watch where your energy is going and single family landlording and management can be extremely energy intensive if you're oh not my goodness, careful absolutely. or you're not cut out for it. Um, so great lesson learned there. It doesn't sound like you had to go learn that lesson a hundred times. Like I did, uh, sounds like you kind of did one and, and moved on. Um, so moving into the kind of the note space, what was your approach there in terms of getting started? Was there, um, a mentor that you followed, a map that you followed to kind of kickstart that business or what did that look like for you? Yes. Yes. And you, you hit it there. There was a mentor that we followed. Um, I partnered pretty quickly with my, my current partners, Jamie and Kevin, the three of us have flow state investing now. And um, we just aligned. We had, we had some other projects together in real estate and we found that we, we enjoyed those things, but we really enjoyed working together a lot more. And we all really loved the note space. So we started educating ourselves like mad. You know, we, we took the weekend courses, but we quickly found that we really loved the way that um, a woman named Paige Panzarello was handling it. And she works specifically in non-performing notes and essentially flipping them. So they become performing. Okay. Um, we can go into that strategy in a little bit, but right. Paige, we, we resonated with the way that Paige thinks. She, she has a very specific business plan, very specific strategy that, that aligned with us, helping homeowners stay in their homes. It felt really good for all of us. And we, we dove full in to the point where, I mean, we, we did every, everything that Paige offered in terms of educating and getting going with our own notes. Um, and then as we, as we sort of formalized flow state investing, we even brought Paige in as a senior analyst. So she is part of our company for the first three years of our operations so that she can basically run by everything that we're doing. So we've, we've committed to the point where we brought our mentorship onto our, into our business plan, into our team. Um, and and made that financial commitment because she's doing things the exact right way that we want to be doing it and and we're kind of picking up the torch where she's she's hit it in a point in her career where she's able to sit back a little bit more and spend time in these smaller businesses to help get people going and potentially do some bigger deals down the road potentially in the multifamily space for instance so 
Um, so we aligned with her really quickly and we, we, we kind of took off there. I love it. I cannot advocate for that approach enough. Um, there's just, there's not enough time in our lives to try to figure this out on our own. And if there's somebody that's done, this is such a simple concept, but Mm -hmm. somebody's done just about anything you want to do in life. There's some exceptions, right? Elon Musk building a rocket to Mars. There's not a model for that. That's a trailblazer, but anything else that the rest of us want to accomplish, there's a model for it. And, you know, I just, I tell people the, the key to kind of success in anything Find the, find the model, the person that has exactly what you've done and copy them exactly. And a lot of it's going to feel counterintuitive. It's going to feel weird. It's not going to be what you thought. Just follow them. And, and if that means paying them or whatever, successful mm-hmm. people are busy. Mm-hmm. They don't have time to just talk to everybody for free. Pay the cover charge, push the fast forward button and, and do it if you want to do it. If you're not committed. Absolutely. Don't do if, it. But if exactly, you're committed to it. And that's the it, key. If you're committed to it, if you really want to see this grow and you see it in the multifamily space too, people, sure. people partner with experienced operators first. Yep. They're not going out and picking off their first 200 unit um, without yep. anybody experienced in that realm. And that's the same thing in these other industries. And I, I love that in real estate, we can, um, we can do that. We can sort of copycat a model that's happening, bring them into our space, partner with them, learn from them. And you can always... You can always improve systems as you go, especially as sure. technology improves and that sort of thing. But there is no reason you should be reinventing the wheel, and especially yep. with um, with people's experience and 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 bringing in investors, using you know working with people and and their hard earned capital. You have you sort of have that due diligence to them that you have invested in the people who know what they're doing and and they're part of your team. Yep, I love great, it. Great way I to love say it. it. Um, let's talk a little bit about the mechanics of it, if you don't mind. And this is like educational for me and our listeners. So I, I love it and I appreciate you sharing. Could you give us maybe an example of a project, you know, on a non-performing note? Like what, what does it look like? Where are you involved? Where does your capital or investor capital come in? What problem are you solving for that homeowner? Is there kind of like a, you know, a project cycle that you could just kind of walk us through on a, on a, on a project? Yeah, absolutely. This is this is great. So like what really happens when we purchase a non-performing note? Because it right. can be kind of scary to purchase something that's called non-performing. <laughs> right. um, so it's we name. Yeah, it's not exactly. Good. <laughs> it begins with an incredibly extensive due diligence process. Right. So the quick, quick 30,000 foot view is we do due diligence. We purchase the non-performing note. We attempt to help that borrower renegotiate terms and get them back on track with making payments. We and this is just a, a homeowner with a Bank of America loan or? Exactly. And they exactly. just haven't paid for 90 days, 120 days, whatever it is. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, Something it. like that. Um, sometimes they haven't paid for even a little bit longer, but, yeah. um, and they've accrued late fees, right? So they're getting oh, yeah. even more underwater at this point, but they, but they want to keep their house and we ideally get them get them back on track with payments. We get them paying for a certain amount of time, about 18 months is usually around the longest hold time we like to have. And then we take that note and we can sell it again um, on the secondary market as a performing note. And we've essentially added a ton of value to that asset. Is there assistance for, so, uh, you know, there's a homeowner, you, you know, Joe Smith, whatever, hasn't paid in nine months. 
you guys come in, are you assisting him with the payments or how is, how are you helping him get, get back on track there? Yeah. Great question. Great question. We're essentially just playing with the amount that's due and yep. what they're capable of, of paying. So we say maybe your payments were a thousand dollars before we can see that that's too much for you. It doesn't make sense. Um, you know, what if we could get that payment down to 900? Is that something that you think that you could manage? Um, and in order to do that, we refinance, we, extend the length of the term. Um, we're going to probably increase the interest rate because these are high risk borrowers at that sure. point. Yep. Um, but we can also forgive some of the balances. If they've accrued thousands and tens of thousands of dollars of late fee, we can say if you if you make these payments for six months, at the end of six months, we'll forgive $10,000 of your debt. And we factor that number into our original underwriting. So right. we know that we have that cushion, that wiggle room to be able to play with those numbers. So we're still going to get our targeted returns, even if we forgive things like that. We have a ton of flexibility in note investing, in other words. Um, yep. But it all begins with the due diligence. And so I really want to stress that side of it because not every one of these goes to performing again. Sometimes we have to foreclose. Sure. And that's sort of our worst case scenario, both in that the homeowner doesn't get to keep their home. That's not our goal. We don't want to end up with a, a house. We're going to end up, we're going to just sell it. We're not going to try to fix and flip it. We're not going to try to rent it out. We want to get our capital back out again and moving again in new notes, a little bit more of a velocity model. So how do we know, how do we pick a note where we think that the borrower is going to reperform, right? So we're doing our due diligence in three different buckets. We do it on, it's commonly known as the three P's in note investing. So the people, the property, and the paper. So the property is an easy one. We're going to do the same due diligence that you would do if you were buying a rental house in a different market. We're looking at market conditions, job growth. We're looking at comparables. We have a realtor, local realtor, boots on the ground, go and do a fair market assessment of the house, comparables, all of that jazz. Um, we want to know if we ended up with this house, what's what can we sell it for as is? So that's the property. The second thing is the people. So we're doing a pretty extensive dig into this borrower's background, similar things that your lender would do. We're pulling up reports, credit histories, that kind of thing. But we also have this really golden record of all of their previous payments and their servicer records. And, and we can find little tiny clues in there that, that are going to lead us to believe that this borrower actually wants to to keep this house. They want to get back on track. I mentioned earlier, they could be stopping and starting making payments. That's someone who's trying typically, right? right? right. Um, yeah. We can see different judgments that have been pulled against them. We can see different debts that they have. We can really paint a pretty big picture and we can see if this person is someone who may be wanting to work to keep their home. That's what we're trying to trying to find out. And then the third one is the paper. And this is something that just other other forms of landlording or real estate investing you may not dig into, but we want to know the quality of that paper trail going through this. So we look at, um, see if there's any previous judgments that are attached to the property as liens. We're looking at liens. We're looking at other back taxes. We're seeing if the recordings are all in place. There's a lot of really technical sort of legalese document analysis that happens in that due diligence phase. And if we look at all that and we say, this looks like a great opportunity, we underwrite it to that foreclosure scenario. Right. So if we were to have to foreclose and get this house back and hold it for that amount of time, could we still meet our, our minimum historical returns of, of about 10% return? Um, and then it just, you know, if, if we can do anything else, there's a number of different exit strategies, even in between performing and 
foreclosing. So we can do a deed in lieu of foreclosure. We can do a short sale. We can do these other things that um, might be shorter timeframes. They might be a little bit better for the borrower even to not have a foreclosure on their record. Um, so we underwrite to the foreclosure scenario right off the bat. I love it. Yep. I love it. And, and like any real estate deal, your due diligence up front is critical. You've got criteria, you probably pass on just about everything, but then you've got some that, that check the box. How um, are investors participating? Is there, is there passive investment opportunity here? And what does that, what does that look Absolutely. like? And I don't know yeah. if you're allowed to talk about, you know, return projections or anything like that, but maybe just a high level on what that looks like. Because, you know, when I hear this, I think, man, Susan really knows her stuff first and two man i my my brain is full of like my other businesses that i run i don't know that i want to go learn all this stuff but maybe i got some capital that i could park and let the experts run it right and and so what does that kind of look like from a from a passive investor perspective absolutely this is a great question and we've really invested time into setting up our systems so that our capital partners are doing as, as much work as they would as if they were putting money into a passive multifamily syndication. So right. we do education in the upfront and then we have regular updates throughout our investment period. But we do offer offer investment uh, sort of passive and a little bit active. And, um, and I say the word active as in it's just basically a distinction. It doesn't mean you're spending any more of your time. So we do offer JV partnership opportunities for people who want to get their money active a little bit more one-on-one, -on -one. that's a great way to get started so that you can just still kind of understand a little bit more about what, what's going on here. But as soon as you understand that, it is pretty much smooth sailing after that. We do we do all of that work I just described and we're presenting it to you as the as the partner. Um, we do offer full syndications too. Occasionally we'll, we'll do a bigger a bigger purchase and we'll, um, we'll create the full private placement memorandum and have passive investors come along to be able to buy a really large pool of notes. And in that way, you won't see individual asset summaries, right? We're getting the full sort of um, averaging of the, of the whole pool. But, um, but we really set it up for, we, we kind of built it on the model of the multifamily world right now, which is great right. because there's such great automations and stepping up in communication which I've loved to see in the multifamily space where investors feel like they know what's going on. They can choose to open their email and really get that juicy update. They get their monthly distributions. It's no longer like put your money in an investment and then just wait, you know, three years to see what happens with it. There's, <laughs> you're, you're involved in that process. So we, we set up our systems to model that where, we help guide you through those initial initial due diligence steps. In other words, we present you the investment summary that covers all of that so that you understand, just like you'd receive an investment summary of a, of a multifamily opportunity investment, passive investment. And then, um, and then as soon as we make that purchase, you're getting monthly updates and, um, and potentially participating in a call here and there if you want to know a little bit more information because it is a little bit of a different asset class. But once you wrap your head around it, you can see that it's being a lean lord is, is often quite better than being a landlord. There's a just, lean lord. I've never heard as that. As soon as we I get like those it. notes moving. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and even I, I mean, I kind of envision people being able to you know, use notes as a really good way to diversify into multiple markets, right? Maybe they've got some of their capital and some multifamily syndications, but the notes world behaves very, you know, it doesn't behave the same as the multifamily world in terms of reacting to different market cycles. So often if we have a downturn, that's, that's when 
everything looks really good to us because people need help with their mortgages at that point, um, oftentimes. And um, and then even, you know, if they work with us, they can start to understand a little bit better and even hold their own performing notes inside a self-directed retirement account or where it's literally just pure mailbox money at that point. Yep. And so I'm, I envision, you know, educating and empowering the people, the investors that we work with to be able to not only use our partnerships as a diversification tool, but also to get the confidence that if they wanted to put in a performing note or to into their portfolio on their own, that they'd be able to do that. That is, that is phenomenal money when you get, especially into retirement years too. It, it really is pretty straightforward mailbox money. Love it. Love mailbox money. Um, in terms of, you talked about in due diligence a little bit in terms of market selection, you know, I'm, I'm in the multifamily world. We, um, we, we've got it easy. We are in one market basically, but there are certain markets that are uh, friendly to kind of multifamily investments, whether it's the landlord law or uh, migration trends, that kind of thing. What is the what is the outlook on markets for note investing? Is it everywhere because everybody owns homes and people fall behind on their on their payments? Are there certain market uh, criteria that you're looking for, or or is it completely different than say the multifamily space? Great question, Devin. We we do absolutely look in different markets. There are, like you said, there's notes everywhere. There's properties everywhere. There's people getting lending everywhere in all different types of investing from single family homes to commercial to everything. But we specifically, Flow State Investing at least, have a very specific market criteria. The first biggest one is that no, we don't operate in every state. We only operate or we only look for notes in non-judicial states. So instead of where- that? Exactly. Uh, so a non-judicial state is essentially where the foreclosure process timeline is much shorter. Right. Foreclosure is not a part of the court proceedings in non-judicial states. Okay. In judicial states, it could take years and years to foreclose on a property. Oh These are states like, like Pennsylvania, New York, and, and Florida. There's only a handful of them. There's more non-judicial states than there are judicial. So we look for that right off the bat. That's one yeah. of our easy, like, we don't even... We don't even analyze the properties in judicial states um, because we don't want to hold the note for that long. That's not saying that those are bad assets. There are some investors who that's their criteria. That's their business plan, right? But they have to underwrite to potentially holding that asset for years and years in the foreclosure timeline um, where you're not making any money on that. So that's one of the examples of a market that, uh, you know, a market condition that we might buy in. Um, we look for I mentioned earlier, really similar stuff to if you're buying a rental property and somewhere that you're not, um, you've never put your own boots on the ground. So certain population statistics we're looking at. We even go to where we call counties because there are some anomaly counties within the United States, even in non-judicial states where the foreclosure process is a lot, a lot harder. So we're on the phone with county clerks and asking them about their foreclosure pr proceedings just to guarantee that we're not gonna get any surprises as, oh, just kidding, you have to wait two years for a foreclosure process to happen. Um, and then in terms of just like, 
you know, COVID and what's happening with the impact on foreclosures there. Typically the notes that we're purchasing are non-governmental backed mortgages. So they're not the ones that have been in foreclosure moratoriums. So that doesn't typically impact us. Now, that's not to say that the note world is fully not impacted by COVID. We are all impacted by, by you know, things in the market that can happen. COVID that are outside of the market, but impact our daily lives, impact our employment. For instance, people weren't working in their offices who work in the county, the, the counties that we're calling, right? So sure. it was might've been harder to reach them. It might've been harder to move through foreclosures, even if we were allowed to, because there's there's no one in the, there's no one there to, to do the processing. So it's not to say that we're immune to doing the hiccups, but we do try to make sure that, um, that the things that we can predict you know, they're, they're within our time frame of moving forward in those markets. I love it. I love it. Thank you. This is all very illuminating. So I enjoy <laughs> learning about this uh, again that, you know, this is not something I'll probably ever go do as an active because it seems like a whole new skill set to learn. Like I, I'm maybe an old dog at this point and I've got my, my tricks that I like, but as a passive investor, this is pretty attractive uh, to be able to be in different markets, have an operator that's experienced run with it and, and, you know, enjoy the mailbox money. Um, well, this is a, this is a good primer. Um, if somebody wants to connect with you, Susan, and kind of dive a little deeper, maybe ask some more specific questions, what's a good avenue for them to do that? Absolutely. Well, you can always send me an email. I'm Susan at flowstateinvesting.com. Head over to our website. If you sign up for our investor circle, then you'll automatically get a link to schedule a call with me. So I, because of this, that it's, it takes a little bit longer sometimes for people to wrap their head around the note space. I do tend to spend a little bit more time on phone calls with them in the yep. beginning. And my vision of that is that I'm investing in your own knowledge as an investor as well. Maybe you're even looking at your own mortgages a little bit differently after that conversation. So I'm hoping to educate you about the note space because I feel like there's a lot of opportunity there, but also so that you fully understand our business strategy um, and see if it fits within your goals and if, if, if it makes sense for you to diversify into notes a little bit that way too. So, um, so sign up for the Investor Circle, schedule a call. You can get more info on our website we have a lot of great, um, a lot of great resources up there. Like I said, I invest a lot of time into educating. Once a guide, always a guide. I think yeah. a little bit here too. So um, I really want to help people understand notes. I love it. Well, it's all starts with education, right? You know, whatever you're doing in real estate investing, education is the first step, and then you can make you know educated decisions and choices after that. But um, thank you for the the content you put out educating people. Thank you for sharing kind of a very intro primer on notes here. And we'll link to it in the, uh, we'll link to the website in the show notes. And thanks for jumping on, Susan. I enjoyed it. It was a pleasure, Devin. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. I hope you found that educational, entertaining, inspiring, all of the above. If you are interested in seeing future DJE investment projects, and you are not already on our list and in our portal, uh, you can go to the website, djetexas.com. There's a little button there to schedule a 15-minute call with our team, answer any questions you have, and make sure you get on that list to see that next project that comes out. Also, if you're interested in being 
uh, an investor that runs these deals, we've got a free seven module course for you at apartmenteducators.com. A lot of great free content there to ramp up your education in the multifamily investing space. Once again, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We always appreciate a five-star review that helps the reach of the show. That's one way you can give back if you enjoyed it. And we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.